I found out three weeks before my daughter was born that my ex-husband was cheating on me. The life that I thought I was gonna lead is not gonna be it. If feelings could kill, I murdered him at least 50 times a day. <laughs> I felt so helpless against my own mental capacity and what was going on in there. I just wanted it to stop. I wanna be free to do what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want, and as many times as I want. And to me, that's the definition of success. When people reject you, the quicker that you move on with an energy that's positive, the sooner you're gonna attract what you want. I don't ever wanna be equal to a man. I just wanna be the best version of me that I can be. Excellence is always what I shoot for. Perfection is, it's irrelevant because it's not real. to Diary of an Empath. My next guest is Alicia Covey. She is a self-made millionaire, a podcast host, a co-founder of an eight-figure business portfolio, including a company that she scaled 4,000% in less than five years. Very impressive. And she is also an advocate for entrepreneurship. I'm so excited to have her on. Alicia, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm sure we're going to have a blast. I'm so happy to just actually get to see you kind of on in person in a way it's on camera. So it's funny how I found your page. A friend of mine actually sent me a few of your videos and he's the one he's like, you got to have her on your podcast. And that's when I started listening to your podcast, watching some of your videos. And I'm like, yeah, I have to have her on. <laughs> oh, he's well, give him my love and appreciation that I'm glad he connected us. I will. I will. He'll be happy. So I was reading a bit about your story. And um, one thing that I saw that really stood out to me is that your mom struggled to make ends meet when you were younger. I would love for you to take me back to that time in your life and what that was like for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how most people feel, but when I was young, I didn't realize after my parents got divorced that we were broke. <laughs> I was just like, oh, we are poor, <laughs> but you know, you're, you're happy, you're a kid, you're doing your thing. Um, and I think when it really dawned on me is when like the lights got turned off and I was oh, wow. like, oh, we, we are poor, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. can't really make, you know, things happen. And so I think I was 13 at the time, maybe just turned 14. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to help my mom. Like I have to help my mom. I've been helping my family my entire life. It's kind of built into me, but I didn't realize that monetarily I could make an impact. And so I got my first job at 13 or 14 at Baskin Robbins. I just told them I was 16 and they didn't check my ID. So it was wow. just like, Hey, whatever you have to do. So I would go to school and then I would take the city bus to work after school and just work until 10, 10 o'clock at night. And then, uh, either walk home or my mom would pick me up if she could, but that's, that's kind of how that went. And you know what? I don't, it, it was very hard, I think, but I wouldn't change it because it created who I am. So I have the ability to know how to put in the work. It doesn't bother me at all. I've been putting in work for <laughs> way too long. I won't say how many years, but it definitely taught me that if you want something, you have to go get it sometimes. Yeah. So working at 13 and you obviously have a great work ethic, but what did that teach you? Because I know that working from such a young age, having that drive, having that willingness to want to help and want to bring in monetary value to your own household at such a young age, I would love to hear what, what that brought to your life even now. I think it aged me. 
and not in a bad way, but people always thought I was older than I was because I understood. So I had actually been working alongside my mom since I was seven. She was one of those women that always had a business on the side mm-hmm. and it usually, you know, like ML, MLM or whatever it was back then. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, there's always some jewelry business or something going on, but I would be like stuffing invitations, answering phone calls hi, this is Alicia. It's like seven (laughs) years old. And and I think my voice might be a little bit deeper than most anyway. So they thought I was older than I was. But what it did was it taught me how to communicate with adults and what adults needed to feel safe, valued, want to spend their money. And it's like, oh, okay. So I understand this uh, exchange that needs to happen, this energetic, and then also usually emotional if somebody's buying something, exchange that has to happen for this to go smoothly and for both people to walk away feeling fulfilled. Do you feel like it took away from your childhood at all? Like, w- would you change anything about how it happened? I don't think I would change how it happened because I like the outcome. Do I think that I missed certain things in my childhood? For sure. Uh, there, It's definitely been harder for me. I noticed like, when people want me to play, I'm like, mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to do here. Uh, or like if, you know, you'll go to entrepreneurial entrepreneurial events or whatever, and they're always like, okay, get up and dance. And I'm like, no, thanks. <laughs> like, it's I'm uncomfortable. Not to, it's uncomfortable because I never yeah. did it. And so, and a lot of times I had this one coach that like tried to push me. Like, oh, just get out of your comfort zone. I'm like, has nothing to do with the comfort zone. I don't find entertainment in that. And if I don't enjoy something, I don't force myself to do it. And so I know they were like, damn. (laughs) But it's just like, I never did it. And so it, it isn't something that I have a fond memory of, you know, jumping around dancing with people. Yeah. And you obviously have a long line of history with working and entrepreneurship. So you started a journey of entrepreneurship and baking. Take me back to this time in your life. What made you start this journey and what made you want to open a business? Yeah. So before I graduated high school when I was 16, Uh, I had got my first apartment when I was 16, started going to college and working full time. So I definitely, like I said, it aged me and it kind of made me see what I wanted and how I want, what I thought I wanted and how I thought I wanted it to be. Let's rephrase. Mm -hmm. Um, My first real big girl job was with AT&T and I sold advertising. So, uh, that was a very interesting job. I made a lot of money. I was 18 years old. I mean, back in the early two thousands, making over a hundred thousand a year. So not, not a common thing. I built my first house when I was 18. I just was kind of ahead of the the curve. I also had met my husband when I, my ex-husband now, when I was 16, we got married when I was 18 and, um, I had our first uh, child when I was 22 and I realized I didn't want to go back to work. Uh, I, I never thought that I would want to stay home, um, but then I did want to be home with him. And so I didn't want to go back to work and I'd always loved baking. And so I just started kind of doing it from home for people because I had been asked to do it before. And then after I had my daughter, I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to give this a go. Like what's holding me back? Um, at that point, I was in the middle of a divorce from my ex-husband. And so it was like, well, I'm either going to have to go back to work or I'm going to create my own scenario. And so that was really the jump for creating my own scenario. I didn't want to have to have my kids in daycare never seeing me. Yeah, that makes sense too. And I feel like when you have kids, it changes your outlook on everything because now you you go from it's just me to now I have other humans to take care of and to think about. Like for me, when I went in the military, I had it was just me. I didn't have anyone else to worry about. Then all of a sudden I had my daughter like you. I was young. I was 21 when I had her. And 
everything changed. I had never thought about going to school. I had never thought about my 10-year plan. And all of a sudden I had her and it's like, okay, I have to make moves and do things to take care of her. And especially when I got my divorce, it was like, okay, I got to do something different. Being a mom changes everything. Do you feel like once you had your kids, it changed your outlook on your future plans or even changed who you were? I think that having kids wasn't a huge revelation for me. I'd already raised four, (laughs) like to the point of my siblings would sometimes call me mom by accident. So it's like, I felt like I already understood the responsibility of a child and I already understood what providing for people felt like. So there wasn't much change there. The thing that I did notice was that you could love another human that much. Uh, I know there's like this little saying, you see it float around sometimes, like there's somebody running around with my heart inside them. (laughs) It really does feel like that. And so for me, that was, I was like, whoa, this feels way different than taking care of my siblings. So even though I adore all of them, they're wonderful. It just is, it's not the same. So I think that changed for me, but uh, I found out three weeks before my daughter was born that my ex-husband was cheating on me. And so there was a lot of just drama and kind of crashing of facades that I thought were real, you know? And so I think that's what really catapulted me into, okay, the life that I thought I was going to lead is not going to be it. And so I really need to think about what do I want to create from here moving forward, if that makes sense, because no one else is going to create it for you. Mm -hmm. And now fast forward, you meet your current husband, right? And you end up going into business with him. Okay, so tell me about this. What made you want to do this? How did this change? What was going through your mind? So I met him six months after my divorce. And I was on like man hater rampage. (laughs) I was just (laughs) like, I'll never get married again. Don't fucking try to take me on a date. I don't want to date you. Now, I mean, a girl has needs. So I was definitely all about getting my needs met. (laughs) But I was like, okay, so what's the most efficient way for me to get my needs met without wasting a bunch of time? (laughs) Because <laughs> I'm like, dude, I have I have a full time, I have a bakery, I have three, you know, that I don't think I had three locations at that point, maybe just the one and then, you know, the others came pretty quickly. But, and I had a one year old and three year old. So it's like, what time do I have for this? And I actually met Charles on match. And I just told him, I was like, don't try to date me. I'm not looking for I'm not looking for anything serious. Don't whatever. And he was like, okay, cool. Cause neither am I. And I'm like, okay, they all say that we'll see. And so <laughs> that's kind of where that story came from, but he actually turned into my best friend. So obviously I was physically attracted to him. That's why we went out. But, um, over time he just became my best friend. And I was like, wow, there's no one in my life that gives me the feedback that he does and is just there by my side. And so after, I mean, I think three years we were on the phone one day and he was just like, God damn it, Alicia, be serious right now. I'm trying to figure out if I could marry you someday. And I just like silence for like 20 seconds, busted out laughing and hung up on him and didn't talk to him for two weeks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he was Aww. just like, that was heart wrenching. And I was like, I told you not to try to marry me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, poor guy. He, he's so sweet. It was just like you. But sometimes he did ask me, like, how long am I going to have to pay for his mistakes? And it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, man. Yeah. You don't want to make somebody else do that. But it's just like you have to work through your healing process. And I did not have a lot of time between my uh, first husband and meeting him. So he kind of got to see the entire process. So how did you end up going into business with him? And were there challenges along the way? Because, I, man... 
I cannot imagine being a single, very independent entrepreneur and then meeting a man and then all of a sudden being business partners with him. That to me is scary. I, I would love to hear how you felt about that and how did that even transpire? Yeah. So we were together four years before we got into business together. So it wasn't a quick jump, but it wasn't okay. at all. Because <laughs> um, you're right, that would be very strange. Like he didn't even meet my kids until we'd been friends for three years. <laughs> I was just like, nobody's meeting my kids. Nobody's getting, I was pretty, I'm not tr- like not trusting anybody. Um, but we literally had a conversation one day. I was talking about where LaBella was going, which was my bakery. And he was like, Alicia, how many cupcakes do you have to make to be a millionaire? And as soon as he said that, I was like, I think in your asshole way, you're telling me I have a hobby. (laughs) And he was right. I had 23 employees who I adored and I loved what we did, but it was a hobby. I wasn't going to reach the financial goals that I had set for myself doing that, hoping that, oh, maybe it will blow up. Maybe it will become famous. Maybe, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not realistic. And so you guys went into business together. Have you found that it's been challenging along the way? What is it like working with your spouse? I would say it's not for the faint of heart. (laughs) You you better know that you guys are strong. And when I mean strong, I mean real fucking strong because um, anybody can see each other for four hours a day and be sweet. Try spending 24 hours a day with someone and see if you're sweet. And also try like uh, building a business together because normally good business partners have um, opposite capabilities, right? And so, which is a great thing because you can cover a bigger area when you guys have different things that you're good at, but then those things are going to butt heads, especially if you're both alpha. So there was many, many times where I fired him or I quit. (laughs) (laughs) And then it would be like 30 minutes later, all right, I'll see you at home. (laughs) You know, you're not quitting and you know, you know, you're not firing. Like in the beginning we would we would uh, like fire each other. Like, that's it. I'm fucking done with you. Get out. And then we realized like, that's not the good deal. I'm going to leave. <laughs> so I quit. And it's just like <laughs> so childish, like mm-hmm. being, starting a new business and it being hard and it being exhausting, it really will show you like the most childish behavior out of a person. And you guys got through it and, and obviously very successful with what you do. I want to rewind because you talked a little bit about how you had to kind of go through almost like a cycle with your ex-husband of forgiveness. And I saw a post that you talked about a little bit about forgiveness and what you had to do to overcome this. How did you learn to forgive? Girl, I did it the hard way. (laughs) I'm always just like, God, please let me share these experiences so that someone else doesn't have to go through it because there was so much hate in my heart towards that man. Like if feelings could kill, I murdered him at least 50 times a day. (laughs) Like I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. It's like, um, and I think some people probably have the tendency to do this more than others, but that story would spin in my head, like as background noise all day. So what he did to me, how many times he lied to me, just all the details would just circulate in there. And really it was making me sick. It got to the point where I felt so helpless against my own mental capacity and what was going on in there. I just wanted it to stop. And so I ended up uh, having to pay a pretty fucking penny for a coach that I found that I just knew he had something that I needed. I didn't know what exactly he was going to be able to help me with, but he's the one that taught me that practice that you're referencing. And 
as I was going through all of these things in this horrible scenario that had happened, he was letting me vent about all of them. I got to write them all down, which is wonderful. You're like, yeah, motherfucker. Just <laughs> like, I, I can't tell you how many poor Sharpies got murdered in that, <laughs> in that practice. And then once we're done, he's like, great. Now write something you're thankful next to each of those. Why? How can you be thankful for those? That part, I was like, you're a dick for making me do this, but okay, I'll do it. And then when he made me read it, that was like breakdown because you're having to admit to yourself that, you know what? I'm not a victim. I don't want to be a victim. I never wanted to be a victim. But sometimes when events happen, you feel so victimized that it's just like you're justified in that. And everybody else will justify you being there because in their eyes, you've been victimized as well. So you're not just fighting against your own feelings of victimization, your friends who are loving you and supporting you. And they, they don't mean to do it in a bad way, but they also feel like you've been victimized. So you have to be able to step out of that and really writing those things down of how I could be grateful for each one of those things that have happened really hit home. And then especially having to speak them, it's just more powerful that way. It's like an echo chamber, you know, it's like people around you like, fuck him, he ain't shit. And that sometimes, yes, in the moment it can feel empowering and it can feel validating, but sometimes it's good to have, like, I have my best friend Fee, who I'm so thankful for, and and my, my one of my best friends, Christy. And there are those types of people that will say, well, have you ever looked at it from this point of view? And I used to get mad. And I'm like, like, why are you taking his side? And it took it took a lot of self-awareness and insight for me to realize, like, no, I have to see it from a different point of view because forgiveness is not for the the other person. It's for me. It's for me to move on. And what I realized is that a lot of times, it, it's not your fault of what happened, right? But nine times out of 10, when somebody does something or says something, it's their own triggers. It's their own trauma response. It's something that they're responding to. And more likely than not, it has nothing to do with you. And when you can kind of accept that and say, okay, like I, I realized what happened, I'm aware of what happened. I don't want to have contact with that person or I'm going to have limited contact, but I don't have to hold on to it. I release it. I acknowledge mm -hmm. it. I release it. So now practicing that and practicing forgiveness has now allowed me to, when I, when I come across people, like even on the internet, you know, troll five, two, six, five, three, who <laughs> says my podcast sucks. <laughs> I like, I used to get mad. Okay. I'll give you a good example. I've had five, five stars on my podcast for the entire time that my podcast has been alive. I must have had like two people give me a one star review. I don't know why. Maybe a guest on my podcast pissed them off and it went down to 4.9. I was like, I, it, I really got triggered. I took this to heart and then I had to be like, you know what? This has nothing to do with me. Let me just release it. What it's meant for me is going to be and just let it go. And it's allowed me, the practice of forgiveness has allowed me to be more productive in those types of situations where before I would let it trigger me and yeah, anger me, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I, I commend you for having to do that and to be aware of the act of forgiveness is really in, in part your responsibility. Your healing is your mm -hmm. own responsibility. And so thank you for sharing that and being so vulnerable. You've obviously have had a very successful path in your journey of entrepreneurship. I would love for you to define what it means to be successful. 
Side note, did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a professional tarot reader? It's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future. It's a tool to connect with your guides and your higher self to help you in certain areas of your life. Tarot genuinely changed my life and it can potentially change yours too. Click on the link in this podcast for more info. Okay, back to the podcast. Oh, this is a good one, girl. You've got good questions. I'm like, <laughs> that's a good one. And it took me a long time to truly figure that out. I don't know if I'm just, everybody else knows what success is. And for me, it was just kind of like, you know, I'm not sure what that's going to look like for me, but I really didn't force myself. A lot of times I think we see stuff on social media and it's like, oh, these three pillars and your core values and you should know all these little things about, you know, what you're doing. And it's like, damn, really? Um, but my advice would be to just step back. I'm not saying don't think about the things, but you don't have to define everything. Not everything has to be defined. And when you step back, sometimes magic happens. And it's like your subconscious really thinks about it, even though you're doing other things, maybe even when you're asleep. But one day it just popped popped up to me and I was like, you know what? I want to be free. I want to be free to do what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want, and as many times as I want. And to me, that's the definition of success. That, if I have that on my deathbed, and then I have the fact that I can truly say to myself only that I walked a path towards enlightenment. And for me, that's growth and knowledge, just constantly learning. Then I'm going to be happy because it's just like, what more could you ask for there? Yeah, money's great. And I think that, of course, it's like icing on the cake if, you know, you're able to make a good income or strive for your goals. But if you talk to most people, look at who was it? Bill, not Bill Gates. Um, who was the guy on his deathbed? Apple. Uh, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. So yeah. Steve Jobs wrote this letter on his deathbed and he essentially said like, no money in the world is going to make you happy. He had so many regrets and things that he wished he'd done or things that he focused on. To me, I define success very similar to you. Uh, freedom, the ability to learn, and the ability to spend time with the people that I love, but also travel. Travel does require money, but... <laughs> yeah, I think you really just exactly said what I said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, same thing. So we want the same thing. Yeah. I, I want to, I just want to travel the world, meet new people, yeah. have culture. I, I'm, I want that human connection. You know, I crave yeah. it. And I think at our core, we all do. Um, one thing that I always have you know, what I shared with you is, is the art of rejection was very difficult for me for a long time. How is that, how does somebody overcome rejection? How do you deal with rejection? So I'd like to look at it. If we're talking about in sales and in business, I like to look at it as a game. So I use in every company that I have offered any sales expertise in, I always find out how many times am I going to have to make a connection before I close a deal? So what's my win ratio, right? And of course, it's just an average like anything else. But once I knew, for instance, at AT&T, if I make 10 calls, I'm definitely going to get two interested people and I'm definitely going to close one. Then every rejection I got, I was like, oh, sweet, I'm closer to my number. <laughs> because you know, that doesn't lie. That's an average. It came from your numbers. And so I think that's one portion of it. And then the other portion you kind of hit on earlier, it's not personal. So when people reject you, you have no clue what that reason is. And there's no point in spending time trying to figure out unless you think maybe it's personal and there's something you might need to, you know, seriously take a look at it yourself. But if it's in business, it's, it's not personal. Just move on. And the quicker that you move on with an energy that's positive, the sooner you're going to attract what you want. So that's kind of how I deal with that. I think too, um, you know, 
the the sense of autonomy online has made rejection and even commenting hurtful things, it's very easy for people to do that now because there's no sense of responsibility. Ownership. Anybody behind, yeah, there's no ownership. Anybody yeah. behind a keyboard, usually 5, 10, 20, can literally say whatever they want, state their opinion, make racist comments. I mean, they can say the most disgusting things that are out there and get away with it. But yeah. had that person been in person, they would never, no. never say that. And yeah, it took a lot. It took some time for me to just like not even give in to the negative comments on social media. How do you deal with social media? Because as entrepreneurs, as content creators, we find ourselves online. So I love to ask content creators this question because um, it's something I'm still learning Working to navigate. With, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it actually kind of goes back to that forgiveness practice. And I, I don't know if this is the same for everyone, but what I do know is for me, I, the, the first true step that I felt was kind of what you and I talked about where I was able to forgive for myself. It's like, it's not to say that whatever was done to me is okay. It's to free myself. And now I feel like I'm at a level and I'm not sure if this is normal or not, but I don't even need to forgive people. I don't even feel the need anymore. So if somebody gets into it with me or they're saying something nasty, people do it all the time. I'm just like, dude, that sucks because they took the time out of their day. They were hurting enough. They're looking for help. It's just like, we're all like children inside. So it's like good behavior, bad behavior. Either way, I'm getting attention, right? So it's attention seeking. And I'm just the, the mode that they're using to get that attention. And so if I can quickly say something nice to diffuse and let them know, hey, man, I see your your point of view. Thanks for sharing. I hope you have a good day. You would be shocked at how many people that you, I've said that to that have turned around and been like, man, I'm sorry. I, mm -hmm. I That's not what I'm going for. I don't need you to tell me that. It's okay. It's okay. I just want you to know you're loved. You know what? It's, it's hard. Life's hard. Things sometimes are hard. And if you took it out on me, then I feel that the universe thought I was strong enough to handle it. And mm. I really have to, it, to me, it's kind of like a responsibility. If I can hold the space for you and you need to vent and you need to dump, I'm strong enough. Go for it. I love that. It's, it's hard because we know sometimes when we're posting reels and we have 60 seconds to post something that is, you and know, you don't get all the content in there and they're like, get you, and you're like, Oh my God. Oh, I have had men rip me new ones. What do you Same. mean? Women work four hours of unpaid work. What are you supposed to be doing at home? And I'm just like, Oh, breathe, breathe, breathe. It's a woman's, it's a woman's show. And I didn't say anything about how many hours men work. It was just yes. Oh, like I made, I made a video. I can't remember what it was. Like, you know, I said, women need to stop saying, I don't need no man because you know, we need men, men need us. And I don't know, somebody came in there. What about people with disabilities? What about that? I'm like, listen, I can make a video for that too, but that's not, I'm like, I, I, my mind is blown right now. It's like, people will take the small, they will create their own narrative into something. I'm like, that's not what I said. That's not what my guest said. But I, I just stopped responding. I'm like, I'm not going to do this no more. I had, I had a guest, Ayana from love is blind, love her. And God, the comments that she got on, I, I had to erase comments. I'm like, yeah, you're not doing this today. You know, she should have done this before she got divorced and she should have done that. I'm like, you guys don't even know the story right now. Like you literally are watching a 60 second clip. Go listen to the podcast. Yeah. I struggle with balancing that 
that distance Mm -hmm. and that energy. And I'm getting better at it, but I find myself struggling even with disconnecting from the social media aspect of things. How do you balance things? And I'm very careful of how I ask women this question because I feel like women get asked this more than men because they assume that, oh, well, you're a mom, you're this. How do you balance it all? And men don't get asked this question a lot. But I I genuinely mean that from just a human perspective and you being an entrepreneur, being on social media, having a podcast, running a business, how do you find time to balance your energy and what works for you? What doesn't work for you? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. So number one, I don't ascribe to the word balance. I don't think it's real. I think it's this balance means equals. So I would have to sleep eight hours. I'd have to work eight hours. Then I've had eight hours for my personal stuff that that would be balanced, but that isn't real life, especially not the real life of an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. what I'm always looking for is harmony. How can I harmonize the different portions of my life? I look at every single thing that I do as an activity. It's either an activity that I get paid for or an activity I don't get paid for. And so then I need to realize and really pay attention to what my activities are for the day. Okay, what activities am I getting paid for? Is that enough in the businesses? And then what activities am I not getting paid for? That am I having enough enjoyment, right? Even sleep is an activity. It's a costly one, but it's very, very necessary. And so it's like, there's never going to be a balance in my point of view, but there is harmony. So today I might need to do seven hours of activity I'm getting paid for. And tomorrow, maybe I only need to do three. And then I can spend the rest of that time, you know, with my family or baking or whatever it is that makes me happy. I'm always looking for the harmony. How do I push myself forward, continue to grow, and then make sure that the areas in my life that I'm responsible for are harmonizing well? I like that word harmony. We we live in a hustle culture, hustle harder, sleep when you die. And it sounds great, right? But that's just not... Until you're dying because you're not sleeping. (laughs) Yeah. And we wonder why we live in a society full of, you know, disease and immunocompromised people. We like, it's so bad. And it's to the point, like I fell victim to that. And I had to get to the point where I'm trying to now not check my emails every hour because it's, that's how bad it was getting. It's to the point where I'm like, I am checking my emails and my social media once an hour for what, for what there's no need to check it that frequently. Like it can be checked twice a day. It does not need to be checked every hour on the hour. And that's where it was getting. So I was having a difficult time finding that harmony that you speak of. And I'm finally getting to the point where it's a necessity because if I, I can't sleep till I die or stay awake till I die, sleep when you're dead, you know, hustle culture, you got to hustle to get what you want. Like, yeah, I believe in work ethic and having a solid work ethic, but man, you have to have that balance. And I feel like our generation or maybe even our culture doesn't do enough of that. I think we're getting better at it, but it's, it's difficult. I agree. I agree with you. And I think that part of that is, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's culture. So I like to travel so that I can see how is the rest of the world living? I think that we forget because we came, we became as the United States, a monetary powerhouse very quickly. And so in all of our brains, we're the best. That's like mm-hmm. we're the best place to live. And we obviously know what the fuck we're doing. That's how we got here. And it's like, not really. Yep. Really, we got here because most of the brightest minds in other countries left for the freedom of here. And then they created with the amount of amazing natural resources that are here, huge businesses that skyrocketed us 
as a country to success. But what we forget is that we only have 250-ish or whatever years of history. That's right. So for me, it's really important that we go back to Europe, that we we see how they're living. What are they doing? And so I take my kids every summer. We go on a 40, 40-day adventure. And this past summer, we were in Paris. And they got to really see the difference between... And the reason I do it that way is because I want them to feel like they lived somewhere else in the world so that they could fully be immersed. They have to know where the grocery store is. They have to know where the coffee places for mom is most important. <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah, make sure mom gets her coffee. I don't care where we are in the world. Um, but it gave, gave them gave them and gives them the perspective of how other people are living. And you know what they noticed? They noticed that community is more important other places than here. So people don't work to live. They live and they do some work too. But just in Paris, as an example, they were like, mom, there's all these old ladies downstairs by the river. What are they doing? And I'm like, that's <laughs> called hanging out. They do it too. I know you never see it in the US. Like all moms do is run around and pull their hair out and drive you to this, drive you to that, take you there, do the. But in other countries, the women chill. <laughs> I'm like, isn't this amazing? But they would be out at like, I, I kid you not, 11 o'clock at night and these 50, 60 year old women just out by the river with their legs hanging over and their bottle of wine. And I'm like, wow, people just want to connect. And I think you hit the nail on the head because you said here we're lacking that. And so we're trying to create it with social media. We're trying to create it. I think we're very becoming aware that there is a lack, but we don't know how to do it. Yes. And especially in this day and age. So we had this period of like no connection where everybody just worked. And now we're like, I think this isn't right. Now how do I fix it? Because we have still social media and all these new things that have come around. And I think it's just going to take us all really understanding and trying really hard to be connected. You hit the nail on the head with that one. I agree with everything that you said. I, I travel as much as I can with my daughter. And we have been to Europe several times. We just came back from Switzerland and Italy two months ago. And the reason why I, yeah, I love it. And the reason why I, I, I literally will not buy a Gucci purse, but I will take that money and take her on a trip because that's my priority for her. I want her to see other cultures and other diversity because it's something that I was not exposed to growing up. And let me tell you something, even when I was exposed to it and, and seeing her see other cultures, it made me realize how much of my life I was living that was wrong. Not even wrong, but closed. Dude, the right. world was like this big. And then we're showing our children, which good for you. I'm so proud of you for doing that. Uh, yeah. It's like we're showing them that the world is not only huge, but it's also small. So it's so easy to stay. We made so many friends in Paris. My kids were like, I'm going to go back. And they were like, are you going to hang out with Sylvia? Are you going to hang out with them? And it's like, because the world has made it that we can have friends everywhere. How lucky are we? But we have to remember that with that technology, it also makes the world feel really big because we can all just sit in our homes on our computers or That's we can right. choose to make the effort to connect. I thought about moving to Europe or somewhere just for like a year just to immerse myself and do like an eat, pray, love. I don't know what's stopping me. I'm still, I'm like, maybe I should just wait until my daughter's a little older or maybe until she figures out what her next step is. But I still think about it. I'm like, maybe I'll meet, you know, Mr. Mr. Wright in, in Italy somewhere and, and move away for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, hey, if you're listening, I'm out here. <laughs> Let me know. I mean, Europe is just, it's something else. And I mean, maybe it's not, might not be for everybody, but for me, it feels 
very, very warm and welcoming. I love that you could hop on a train and go see another country for the weekend so easily. I love that people want to take the time to share with you. And I also love that we can see the differences between our cultures and then we can create who we want to become. And it gives my children another role model. It's like, oh, look, this is how they do things there. Incorporate the pieces that you like. That's right. Yeah. I just love the openness and the freedom. And I love history too. So I think history is, it, it really reminds us of where we came from. And you, one of the things that you said too, and I know this is off topic, but it's just, it's so profound is that a lot of the reasons why the U.S. became the way that it is is because people from overseas that had these great business ideas and these great concepts brought that here. And so I think it's important to remember, too, that as a society, we're, we're so young and we're still learning. And entrepreneurship is really growing rapidly. And now we see this new generation coming in. One thing I would love to get your opinion on is do you feel like this new generation of entrepreneurs is going to have a harder or an easier time now with technology and everything that's in their corner? I don't see it as harder or easier. I see it as different, you know? And God, it makes me feel really old to say that because I'm like, I oh, know, yeah. Right? Like, I look, I'm thinking back to, you know, when I was 18 working at AT&T, that was 18 years ago. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, yes. Yeah, I, had a, I had ago. a pager. I literally <laughs> had a pager when I was 13. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. So, so we're so old, but I'm thinking back and I'm like, you know what? That's right before the internet kind of blew up into a thing. I mean, obviously there was internet, but it wasn't quite as, wow, you know, Google was just coming out. We were actually Google's sales team. So Google didn't even have a sales team. They used AT&T because we were the best salespeople. (laughs) And so uh, we sold all of their products in the beginning of their, you know, their kickoff. But that being said, I think that technology brings pros and cons. And it's very similar to what we just said. It makes you so accessible and then so unaccessible in the same way. So when I worked for AT&T, I would have to go out and see my clients. And, you know, I would talk to their secretary, make sure that they were going to be there, make an appointment and then go see them. Now I text people. I'm just like, hey, and I don't go see them. So it's like, you know, and a text is never going to be the same as that in-person connection. So harder or easier, I think there's pros and cons. It's just different. We live in yeah, a different, different. society. One yeah. post that you you made that I thought was interesting, you talked about givers and takers. And I find this a lot, especially as an entrepreneur and a business, even with people that I personally know, I would love for you to expand on what that means when you say givers and takers. So this one, uh, this is one of those ones that people lost their mind on. <laughs> <laughs> like some people loved it. Some people hate it. They're like stupid. And I'm like, you don't have to apply the information. I'm just telling you it works for me. So I used to think that there was just givers and takers. It's like, okay, well, you're either a giver, which I know that I am, or you're a taker. And then what I realized, and I saw it on a TED Talks, I think his name is Adam something, but I saw it like over a decade ago and it just rocked my world because he was talking about the four types of givers and takers. And as soon as he said it, I was like, damn it, he's right. So basically there's the traditional givers and takers. Uh, You know, a giver is the person who will give you the shirt off their back. And then a taker is like, I always describe them as a vampire. Someone, we all know they're a vampire. It's like, just don't go near that person or else they're going to suck your blood. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you do, you're stupid. (laughs) But then the two others that are the hard ones, at least they were for me, is there's a disagreeable giver. So that's a giver like my husband. They're very, in the beginning when you meet them, you're like, I can't tell if this person is a giver or a taker because they're not traditional givers are like, oh, I love you, you know, da, da, da. 
they're not that way. But then you see that there's certain people inside their circle that they will give everything to. And so I had to realize that, oh, that's what my husband is. Those types of um, givers, they kind of make sure that you're a good person before they allow you into their fold. Then once you're in their fold, they'll give you everything, just like a traditional giver. And then my favorite is the agreeable takers. It's like my ex-husband. I call them wolves in sheep's clothing. And it's just like, you think they're super sweet. They're so cool. They're this and that. And after you leave them, you're like, what happened? Like, wait a second. Did I get screwed there? <laughs> and then the next time you're paying for dinner again, and then the next time, and they forgot their wallet. Oh, they'll Venmo you and they get in the car. Oh, da, da. and you're like, wait, I'm always picking up our tab. I'm always the one that's over to help you. But whenever I need anything, oh, you're out of town or you're whatever. Those ones are the ones you have to watch out for. And they're the hardest to, to spot. It's like very covert. I think that's important too when running a business, but even just like with people who you associate with yourself, because I always, I always explain it like a room. If you have a room full of toxicity, you're not allowing space for healthy people. You're not allowing space for people who, you know, may contribute to your life to be allowed in because there's no space left. So you have to create room. And sometimes that means making hard decisions to, even if you don't cut someone off, to take someone from the inner circle and pluck them and put them on the outer circle. And sometimes that's, I know I had to go through that with personal relationships. Um, not so much with business relationships. I've been blessed to meet people like you and, you know, amazing people, but I've really had to be careful on who I allow into my circle. And I think you're absolutely right. Like the givers and takers are so many different kinds. Um, another thing that you talked about, and I feel like I'm on a roll with some of your posts, but they're just too good not to talk about. You said, don't compete to be a man. I hope I'm saying this one right. I found this post really interesting. So what are your thoughts on this? I would love for you to expand on that. From my point of view, and this doesn't have to be for everybody, but I feel like we got taught in my age group that we had to be as good as a man. Like they had done all of this fighting, all of these women rights, and now you do something with it. <laughs> and it's like, wait, why does this fall on my shoulders? I don't understand because they had fought so hard to get where we are. And then the next generation is responsible for carrying that forward is what it felt like. And so then in order to do that appropriately, what I picked up as a child and turned into my mode of living was that I have to show everyone that I am just as good as a man is. I am just as good at everything that he does and just as good at all of my female things too. So I can do it all and they'll, they will never beat me and I will never show weakness. Now, if I'm at home crying about it later, better suck it up. Like there's no time to cry because you still have your woman's jobs to do. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh my God. But what I realized as I, I lived that life is that the more that I tried to be the best man that I could be, the less of a woman I was. And the less of the best version of me that I was because I was born a woman. So it's just like, I'm not paying attention to half minimum of who I am because we all have feminine and masculine in us, but I'm completely ignoring half of that so that I can be better than men who are already naturally this way. And so I feel like what that really, when I stepped back and really started focusing on who is Alicia and what makes her happy and what do I really bring to the table to give to people. Once that happened, I realized I don't ever want to be equal to a man. I just want to be the best version of me that I can be. And I want to be respected and then also compensated for that appropriately. So right. I'm not competing with Joe Blow. I'm like, you know what? And also to tell you the truth, I usually made more than men. 
because I was good at my job. So I never had that, like, he's getting paid more than me thing. Uh, but it could have just been because I was always in sales. But I don't want to compete with them. I want them to be the best versions of them and me to be the best version of me. Do you think that you are a perfectionist? Would you consider yourself one? A recovering perfectionist. Like, I, don't, I need like a little AA thing over there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a perfectionist for a long ass time. And what I realized is there is no such thing as perfection. And I know that's like rocket science. No one's ever dropped that truth bomb. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there is no such thing as perfection. It is unrealistic. And it also is self-sabotage. Because you know it's unrealistic when you try to be it. So it's like, why am I self-sabotaging? <laughs> you know? Um, but I realized that along the way. And I was like, okay, so if I don't shoot for perfection, what do I shoot for? Because my standards are really high. And what I came to was, I want to do everything in excellence. I want to do it the best that I can with what I have. And I want to be proud of everything that I produce. And so excellence is always what I shoot for. Perfection is, it's irrelevant because it's not real. So how did you overcome it? Was there certain steps that you took in order to change your mindset or certain things that you had to change within yourself? Yeah, I think it was really, really understanding that perfection didn't equal love. So I think that a lot of that came from childhood and I'm not the type to like blame my parents, my mom, uh, whatever. My mom did some shit. <laughs> Don't most moms. <laughs> but it's like, I really think that that's where I associated. If I'm perfect and I can produce perfectly, then I'll be loved. And so yes. it was always the goal of I'll be worthy enough when I'm perfect enough. And I think that Really, Charles was very helpful in, in this because the way that he did it is annoying, <laughs> but he would always, when I started with that shit, he would be like, I'm not your mother. <laughs> and I would just be like, I'm going to kill you. Why are you talking about my mom? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just telling you, you're acting like this is 20 years ago and I'm your mom and I'm not your mom. Mm -hmm. And it used to really irk me. But then I realized he was trying to give me a like, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. And it, finally it clicked for me. It was hard though, because when you live most of your life that way, especially when there's things I think that are kind of ingrained in you as a child, whether it was ingrained by someone else or even from your own understanding. I relate to that a lot. My perfectionism, I'm in, I wouldn't say I'm a recovered perfectionist, but I am in the process of being a recovered perfectionist. I think the first step is self-awareness, right? And like you, I, I'm, I'm pretty self-aware that it came from my childhood. For me, it was more of if I don't do everything perfect and be successful and make sure that everything aligns, there's no one there that is going to pick up the pieces. There's no one there that's going to be able to help me. So it's me or nothing. And it became my identity. Like everything that I do, there's no half like there's no half-ass. Like when I went into the military, it's like, okay, well, what's the hardest branch? The Marine Corps. That's what I did. What I do after worked in a prison, like, oh, can't be that hard. I can do it. Oh, want to start a podcast? I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to do every, I want to go to grad school. I'm going to finish my, like everything that I've done has been because I'm afraid if I don't do it or if I fail that I'm going to lose everything and no mm -hmm. one's going to be able to help me. And so it's a trauma response for me. Now, has it helped me in my life? Sure, of course. But it's also been at the detriment of, that harmony that you talked about, um, sleep, that balance of being able to do things that I like in terms of recharging, getting enough rest, you know, so all of those things has 
affected who I am. And it's not until now at the age of 37 that I'm finally like, I have to force myself to slow down. Like you don't need to take on the world at all times. It's not a requirement. Like you're going to be okay. And I almost wish somebody could give me that advice or that would be my advice to my younger self. If you looked back at your younger self, what advice would you give to younger Alicia? Yeah, I think that was such a beautiful one that you said. I would probably just say, breathe. It's not that big of a deal. Like everything until I was probably 30 was a catastrophe. It's just like, oh no, it kind of sounds similar. Like this can't happen. No, no, no. And I would do whatever it took for it to be perfect again. And then what I realized is like, as you said, this is at the detriment of your your emotional, your physical, all of it, your well-being. And you're and then when you look back, you're like, that's so funny because I never had a problem that I couldn't solve. Have you? Haven't I've you never, made it I've every problem? I've always gotten through, I've always found a way. Right. I, it's a survival. So all those method. times that you got twisted and like freaking out and your, you know, your body's dumping all sorts of hormones. You're you're just like, this isn't right, this isn't gonna work. And it's like, no, actually it will because it always does. <laughs> That's right. And so now when now I'm just like, there's never been a problem that I haven't been able to solve. I'll solve this one too. And really, if you can look at it like that, and then as you continue to grow, I think you get to look at things in a different manner of being more fun. I'm just like, sometimes when I feel overwhelmed, I'm like, oh my God, I used to say my thing was, I, I don't have enough time. I can't get it all done. Like, that's what I would say. And then now what I say is, wow. I have so many opportunities that I can't even get to all my blessings. <laughs> this oh, is a great, great position because then what I, what do I do? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a child sitting here. It's Christmas time. I've opened all the gifts. I can't play with them all. What does a child do? They pick their favorites. So that's what you get to do. And it's like, whoa, huge mind shift of overwhelm, being drowned, can't get it all done to, oh, I just get to pick the best things to operate with now. I'm constantly leveling up because of that. And so it's just way more fun to live life that way. I love that. Alicia, thank you so much for just your your time, your energy, sharing your story, and just the opportunity to be able to talk to you and um, relate. So thank you so much. Yeah, I had a wonderful time with you. I, I feel like we have a lot in common. I'm like, oh, I know we do. Similar. <laughs> we, but I, aren't I we love old? it. Don't we have so much more in common than we normally realize? Like, yes. Yeah, oh, human. <laughs> we just got to take the time to get to know each other and talk to each other. See, yeah. lesson learned. You got to, you guys got to talk to each other more. Connect. Connect. <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right, doll. I hope you have a fabulous rest of your day. Thank you again for having me. All right. Thank you. Thank you.